Let's go back to our jumping off scripture is at Second Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, his young son in the ministry. Second Timothy, chapter number two. You should have gotten uh, an outline for to, uh, tonight's uh, lesson. Uh, and we will uh, utilize this as our uh, as our guideline to go through the scripture text tonight. Amen. So Second Timothy, chapter number two, uh, verse number 14. Uh, As we seek to understand how to apply God's word. Here's what I know without a shadow of a doubt. If I am following God's lead, if I'm following God's word, then God will bless what I'm doing. Okay. I also know that if I'm not following God's lead and if I'm not following his word, because his word will lead me. I quoted it earlier. The scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. So if the word is is lighting and giving me direction for my life and I follow that word, then God will honor his word. As a matter of fact, scripture says he watches over his word to perform it. So God will make sure that his word does not return unto him void. We just need to make sure that we're following after that word diligently. With all our heart, mind, and soul. Okay? So watch what the text says. Paul is writing to Tim. He says, What remind everyone? We all read with him. It says, What remind everyone about these commands and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Verse 15 says, What? Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Okay, let's read that one more time. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Now, again, we've been talking about how to apply God's word, because we know in general, uh, the process that we go through is we, we read, we comprehend and we apply. Everybody say read, comprehend and apply. But we, we said that those are those general broad steps. And we gave you those those smaller steps to get to that point to where we can go up the up this side of the pyramid and come down this side, right? Up this side to get understanding. We can comprehend. We can see what word says. And this side, we come down that pyramid, that Bible step, Bible study pyramid to that point of application because it does no good for me to understand what God's word is saying, to be able to see it, to be able to exegete it, to be able to teach it if I'm not applying it in my life. All right? So when you come to church and you hear word preached, you should come with the mindset that I'm going to take what I heard and, and, and from that point, I'm going to begin to strategize what does that word look like in my life? What does that word look like, that particular principle that we studied, how does that look in my life, in my individual life? What should I be doing based on what I heard and what I learned on Sundays and Wednesdays? Amen. And that needs to be a part of our frame of reference as believers who are coming to the church to learn and to grow. Now, in this section of our study on how to apply God's word, we're going to focus on how to find applications in every part of the Bible. When you read about a Bible passage like James 1 and 19, which we quote all the time, uh, says be quick to hear, uh, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
um, it's pretty easy to to take what that what, what the scripture text is really saying there. OK, uh, we should listen carefully before we speak. Make sure to have all the facts in a specific situation and don't get mad quickly. That one is pretty easy. As a matter of fact, popped it up right quick. James one and 19. Those type passages uh, we can get to pretty quickly. Right. Uh, we, we know who's talking, what he's sharing. To, and, and, but when you put us up, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. That's quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath, slow to get mad. That's pretty self-explanatory. Let's go to New Living Translation, that very same passage uh, when we look at it. Um, if you were to pull some principles out of this, we could do this real quickly, right? Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. What does quick to listen mean? Huh? Quick to listen means what? You, you're ready. You, 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 you're on point. You're not one who talks more than you listen. Uh, he says you must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak. That means don't just jump off and start talking before you've evaluated what's going on. How many of y'all know that's that's easily to put down on paper? That's easy for us to quote. But how many of you know sometimes that can be tough to do, right? When you especially if you're in a conversation or you're talking about a subject or a topic uh, that, that maybe you have a divergent opinion from the person you're communicating with. It's, it's so tempting to stop that person uh, in the middle of their thought so that you can give your right thought. Because the thought that they're giving is obviously wrong because you're right. Anybody ever been there before? So, so, so when we look at this, it's easy enough to say, okay, be, I, I understand what, Jane, what, what the book of James was saying when it says be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to get angry. How many of y'all ever went into a situation and told yourself before you went into that conversation, into that, into that room, whatever, you told yourself, I'm going to keep calm. You told yourself, I ain't going to go off like I did the last two times we had this conversation. I am going to be calm. I am going to approach this. I know this person uh, doesn't quite understand. I know they're a little bit off in their thinking. And so, But I'm going to be calm. And you prayed before you went in there. Spoke in other tongues, laid out on the floor and wailed. But when you got in that room, something on the inside just seemed like it just wailed up. Anybody ever been there before? So even though we see this, the principles are very clear. Okay, quick to listen. Don't you know? Be ready to listen. Uh, don't don't speak it. You know, too quick without evaluating what's going on. Don't get and, and then and don't get mad quickly. Those principles are there. But the application of that is what we're trying to get to. The application of that is what we're trying to, to hone in on, to be able to have some concrete steps and plans where you can tell yourself that here's what I'm going to do before I ever get in there. Here's, here's, if they say this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to respond the way I did the last time. we got to get to that point to where we're applying that in our lives, okay? All right, so those kind of passages we can get to, you know, and understand what, the writer is saying. But on the other hand, how should we handle when, if the whole Bible is for, all, for our admonition, for our instruction, how do we handle those genealogies that we go through and begin to read? How do we handle those prophecies that we read where it's not so clear? How do we handle the poems and the, the apocalyptic uh, visions that are given in the scripture? Okay, In those passages, the application don't just jump off the page like James 1 and 19 does. 
Am I right about it? Have you ever sat down and begin to read those genealogies and all those names you can't pronounce? And you're sitting there saying, well, okay, I know this is in the Bible. I know the Bible says that God's word says all of, all the scriptures given by inspiration of God is proper for, for doctrine, reproof, construction, correction, and rights, and all that. But me knowing these genealogies, how is she going to help me live today? All right. But what I will tell you is, is there, there even in the genealogies or uh, even in the poetic uh, literature in, in, in Proverbs, there are some things that we can learn and understand when we go through our process of, of, of going up the pyramid and coming down. OK, we go through the process of actually uh, digging into the word of God and finding out what it says. Go to Second Timothy three with me right quick. Three and sixteen. Second uh, Timothy three and sixteen and uh, from the NLT. And so let's 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 dig. It's all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. That's what the holy scriptures do. Okay, it again, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Okay, now. uh, In the Bible, you'll find dynamic uh, prophetic declaration, you'll find emotional poetic expression, you'll find historical narratives, you have you have uh, you know personal correspondences that like Paul wrote to Timothy and to different churches and and uh, and, and each type of literature in the Bible uh, has a unique application uh, that, that we can begin to apply. Okay, so we gotta we got we're gonna take a closer look at those. The Bible can divide into seven literary types. Okay, look at those right quick and we're gonna try to break uh, these uh, four down that, that we commonly see in the Old Testament. We have law. Everybody say law. We have history. We have poetry. We got wisdom literature. Prophecy. We got the gospels. The epistles. And we got apocalyptic literature. Okay. That, that's the, the revelations of the world. You know, and the prophetic literature that sometimes... Uh, we don't even go to and study because how many of y'all grew up? <laughs> how many? I just thought. So how many of y'all grew up uh, uh, in a culture where people said, "Ooh, don't just don't study Revelation." How many of y'all grew up scared of Revelation? All right, <laughs> it, it's, it's amazing how why we thought that is in the Bible, but 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 for some reason we ran away from the apocalyptic literature. Uh, but understanding that uh, gives us actually when you understand. Uh, the, the, the apocalyptic type literature that's given in Revelation, it'll give you great comfort as a born again believer. Amen. To know we know what the end is going to be. We know we know how it all winds up. And so in the end, we're going to win if you're part of the body of Christ. Can I get a witness? OK, so so tonight we're going to cover uh, uh, the Old Testament and on next week. We'll cover the, uh, the different types of literature in the New Testament. This is important for us to understand because here's what you'll do if you don't understand this. You'll take a passage that was meant for Israel and try to apply it to the church age. When you don't understand the type of literature and we understand law and you don't understand dispensation. When I say dispensation, that's a big fancy word that says that God at different times in, in, in the history of, of this earth dealt with men in different ways. Okay? Uh, under Old Covenant, Old Testament dispensation, they had animal sacrifices. Under New Testament dispensation, we don't sacrifice animals. Can I get a witness? 
Because we have the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who went to the cross to die on the cross, to die for our sins, hung, bled, and died, so you and I don't have to bring a goat to the priest. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm glad about that. All right? As I told you one time before, uh, we think about animal sacrifice, and we kind of let it just roll off our tongue, but that was, that was, that was probably a little uh, a nasty, gruesome scene. To cut an animal open and blood sacrifice, I I just don't want. You know, I'm a little squeamish about that. Didn't When I go to get, you know, when I go to the doctor, I ain't, ain't like I'm scared, but I just don't. I don't want to watch it, Leroy. Whenever they get ready to draw blood from my arm, I do this right here. I, yeah. <laughs> this is the day. This is the day that the Lord. I wonder who's gonna win the Super Bowl this year. You should just talk about something else because I won't get my mind off my arm being pricked with that needle and they're drawing blood out of me. And I don't know one that's like that. All right. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to look at it too hard. Yeah, to be truth be told, if I look at it too long, I may fall out. So I don't look that way. All right. All right. So, so I'm, I'm glad I don't have to bring an animal and have it slain and its blood sprinkled uh, on the altar, that type thing. OK, I, I, I'm glad about that. OK, so let's look at let's look at the first type of literature that we're going to go to. That's, that's called law. Traditionally, the five books of the law, also known as the Pentateuch, are placed at the beginning of the Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All these books contain historical narrative. Much of the text is devoted to specific laws and regulations for the nation of Israel, the people of God. Okay, so when we look at that, we got to understand that uh, in, in, in those first five books of law, a lot of that deals with Israel. There are three types of laws that are included uh, in, 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 in those first five books. You have, first of all, civil laws, okay? Civil laws. These were given specifically for Israel to help them organize, mobilize, and survive as a nation, okay? And these laws govern Israel's daily living. That's important because remember this God chose uh, to redeem mankind. When He created Adam and Eve in the garden, Adam and Eve, amen, as free moral agents, made a decision to violate God's will. And 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 God had told them the day that you eat of that the tree of that fruit in that day that you eat, you shall surely die. Now, they didn't die on that day. But again, death entered the earth realm. And, and from that point, that from that point forward, uh, th- their bodies begin to 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 to, to, to deteriorate. How many of you know that as long as as the years go by next year, all of our bodies are going to be close to the time when we leave this place. Right. As the old folks say, just keep on living. All right. I, 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 th- I think it's funny because, uh, you know, there is there's truth to that, that statement. Keep on living because Maria and I were just talking about this. You know, the older we get, sometimes aches and pain come from places that we never had aches and pain come from before. Leroy, can you, can you be my witness to that stuff? Stuff will come that you never saw. And, I, you know, it comes. and I don't, I don't sit and complain about it. I'm just like, oh, I never felt that before. But here I am. I'm not gonna let it stop me, but I'm gonna keep moving. But I ain't gonna pl- I'm not gonna complain about it. But I just notice that when you do keep living, that that pains and aches and stuff start to to take place in your life. But all of us are deteriorating. All, all of us, our bodies, at some point in time, if the rapture doesn't come, we're gonna go to the grave. Amen. Just make sure you're prepared to go to the grave. All right. But God, 
But, but when mankind fell, fell in the garden, God had already put his plan in motion to redeem mankind back. And he was going to do it through humanity. God poured out of himself, was born in human flesh. The Bible says great is the mystery of godliness, how God was manifested in the flesh. So in order for God to be manifested in the flesh, he had to come through a human family. All right. So to, to come through a human family, he had to choose a family in the earth realm to come through. Right. And so that 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 family, that nation that he chose to come through, God, amen, set up a system under the old covenant to protect the seed that he was bringing through that nation. And he was not going to allow that nation to die out because of their sinfulness, because he had appointed they men, the Hebrew nation, to bring the seed that would redeem mankind, amen, from his sin. So can you imagine the linchpin of God's plan for delivering humanity was to be born in human flesh, and that nation, amen, that he decided to come through, he had to protect in order for the seed to come in the manger in Bethlehem. Y'all got me? So that's why when you look at Old, old Covenant, you see a lot of stuff that God was doing because God did. God went to some extreme measures to protect the seed. He went through extreme measures and put things in place to protect the seed because, because mankind was sinful. As a matter of fact, at one point it said it repented God he ever made man because of their sinful behavior. Amen? And sometimes if, if we're not careful, even with our children, sometimes our children can do some stuff that, that make us want to pull our hair. Right? Make us want to say, you know, whose decision was it to have this child? <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so God, God, God decided to, 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 to redeem mankind by being born in human flesh. So in, in order to protect the seed, he, through that nation, the Hebrew nation, he, he developed civil laws. Amen. They were to help them to organize, mobilize and survive as a nation. Go, go with me right quick to Deuteronomy 24. Go to Deuteronomy 24 right quick. Some civil law. Deuteronomy 24, verse 10 and 11. Here's just an example of some of the civil laws that were put in place. Now, if I'm studying scripture, I need to be able to know what type of literature it is. Is, is it law? And if it's law, what type of law? Okay? Because if not, I will open up that scripture text. If I don't know this, I'll open up the scripture text and begin to think I can apply that to to, to the year 2019, and it's not applicable because it's a different dispensation. He's dealing with the nation of Israel, right? Watch what the text says. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 10. If you lend anything to your neighbor, do not enter his house to pick up the item he is given as security. All right? Now, again, we're going to see here there are some principles that we can learn, but we don't necessarily do this because this was civil law that was applied to whom? The nation of Israel. If you lend anything to your neighbor, do not enter his house to pick up the item he is given as security or as collateral. All right. Next verse says what? You must wait outside while he goes in and brings it out to you. That's something as simple as, as, as that that God was given in civil law. So if somebody borrows something from you and they borrow some money from you and you say, I'm going to take your whatever as collateral. Uh, your vase that's, that's so precious your mama's left, left you, you think is really valuable. I'm going to take that vase as collateral. But he gave us some civil laws to govern how they handle those things. But that wouldn't be applicable to us today necessarily, would it? Would it? <laughs> All right. So uh, because our culture and society are radically different, many of these guidelines uh, cannot be followed specifically. But we should look for the principles behind the commands as guides for our conduct. Okay, 
All right. And and, and when it's when it comes to uh, loaning money to somebody, how many of y'all have loaned money to people before? How many of y'all loaned money to fellow Christians before? How many of you been burned before? Any of y'all been burned before? Uh, when you've been <laughs> when you've been burned and, and you loan money, uh, it makes you skeptical about lending money again, doesn't it? All right. Am I right about it? Um, and, and sometimes uh, I've always said this in, in Maria and I've said this before. If we're going to loan somebody some money, it's going to be something that we can afford uh, to do without if they don't pay us back. And, and there, there have been times when uh, we've released people uh, because when you when, when people borrow money from you and they don't pay it back, they know they hadn't paid it back. All right. You know, they hadn't paid it back. And then what happens is. Uh, over a period of time, you know, th- there's some tension there because every time they come around, especially they come and they show you their new car. <laughs> and, you know, in, in your mind, you may not say a word, but in your mind, you're thinking, now they owe me seven hundred dollars and they drive up talking about ain't the Lord good <laughs> driving this new car. And then a little bitterness and resentment will rise in your heart. So it, it, it'd be best for you. Since they, it's obvious it's been two or three years, they, they probably not going to pay you. Just go on and write it off so that you can be free and, that, and, that, and you, won't, you won't go around all swole about it. Haven't we done that? We, we've done that before. I mean, and, and we've done it. When it was much larger than, than, than $700. I'm talking about some, some five, four-figure stuff. Well, yeah, okay. I ain't going to tell you all my business. Girl. All right. <laughs> but my point is this. Uh, these principles here don't necessarily apply to us today, but those, but the, but but this 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 particular law, but there's some principles behind it that we can begin to govern and utilize uh, for us today. Okay, y'all with me? But these were for these civil laws were for the nation of Israel, how they would govern themselves. Then next we have ceremonial laws. Okay, ceremonial laws. These were given to describe and guide worship with specific instructions. For the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifice and the offerings. So when I'm studying past scripture, I need to understand when I go to these Old Testament scriptures, I'm in the first five books of the Old Testament. I need to figure out, is this a ceremonial law? Is this applicable to us today or is it just for the nation of Israel? These ceremonial laws. Go to Leviticus uh, chapter number one, verse 10 and 11. Look at that right quick. Okay. Leviticus chapter number one, verse 10 and 11. Just some examples of ceremonial laws. Text says, if the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the flock, it may be either a sheep or a goat, but it must be a male with no defects. All right. Now, verse number 11 says what? Uh, Slaughter the animal on the north side of the altar in the Lord's presence and Aaron's sons, the priest, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. Okay. Now, now again, when you look at this, you think, okay, all right, that's that's what Israel doing that period of time. What can I learn from that? Go back to verse 10 right there. Let's see if we can bring a principle out that we can apply today. Why? It says, if the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the flock, it may be either a sheep or a goat, but it must be a male with no defects. Now, give somebody give me, real quick, succinctly, don't, don't preach a sermon, but tell me what principle could you, you say, okay, I know that doesn't apply to us today, but, but, what could I what could I glean from that particular uh, ceremonial law right there as it relates to my worship and what I do today? Anybody? Somebody? Right quick. Huh? Okay. Somebody. You said bring your tide. Okay. Give God your best. Service to what? Service without having an attitude. Okay. All right. I like that. All, all those are good. Uh, but it must be, I, I like that last, but it must be 
a male with no defects. In other words, when I bring anything to God, if I'm going to sacrifice, I need to make sure that that I'm giving God my best. I'm not giving him my leftover. I'm not giving him my pocket change when he says, honor the Lord. The Bible says, honor the Lord with the first, with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy bonds be filled with plenty, plenty, and thy precious shall breast out with new wine. So if I'm going to bring something with no defect, that means that I'm not going to give God, amen, my leftovers. I'm not going to give God my tired time. How many of you have been guilty of giving God your tired time after you worked all day, did stuff for the family, went to the thing with your, with your, with your, with your family, you went to your child's ball game and did everything, and then when you come to church, you come in and sleep. Didn't sleep at the game. Didn't sleep at work. Stayed up all night watching your, uh, binge watching your favorite TV shows. Gave your time to that, but when it came time for the Lord, you gave him your tired time. See, this is, to me, I can pull from that. Whatever I'm giving to the Lord, I don't, it, it, it doesn't need to be defective. Okay? It doesn't need to be, uh, you know, ho-hum. When it comes to the Lord, here we go. When it comes to the Lord, just okay is not okay. Amen? When it comes to the Lord, just okay is not okay. Don't just, don't just give him something that's just mundane and average. Give him your very best. Okay, so even though this ceremonial law doesn't apply to us, there's a principle that I can glean from that to apply to my life today when it comes to my worship experience and your worship experience. Okay, so ceremonial laws dealt with the relationship of sinful people with the holy God and every aspect of the ceremony was important and had a symbolic meaning. So many times, guys, we come to church. I think that we sometimes don't realize how important it is that that we show God that we honor him with our with our presence, first and foremost, but with our sacrifice, too. In other words, nobody should have to tell you. uh, Give God a hand of praise. Now, I guess it's okay if they, you know, to to encourage them to do that. But at some point in time, if God has done something for you, you ought to say hallelujah. You ought to say amen. You ought to just come in when when song praise is going up. We should have to tell you to stand to your feet or have to tell you to sing unto the Lord. Amen. We put the words up there so you can follow along with us. But if God has done anything for you, you should be willing to give him praise. To give him the highest praise. And no one should have to bait you into doing so. It should be it should be done willingly. OK, so but these ceremonial laws was they, they, they dealt with the relationship of sinful people with the holy God. And every aspect of the ceremony was important and had a symbolic meaning because the sacrifices were fulfilled. The, because these sacrifices that they were doing under these ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Christ, uh, who is our ultimate sacrifice, then we, we no longer uh, have to do these things. Because Jesus gave his life for us. Y'all understand the principle. Those things were just a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice to come. So we have ceremonial laws. So if I'm reading scripture, I need to understand, is this ceremonial law? Is this civil law? Or if it's the third kind, is it moral law? Okay. Moral laws, in contrast to the civil and the ceremonial laws, the moral laws are God's rules for life and they transcend culture and time. Okay, they transcend culture and time. These laws can be summarized uh, in the Ten Commandments, for example. You find it over in Exodus 20. Okay, and so uh, so so here are three ways to apply uh, uh, the uh, to, to apply the other sections of the law. Okay, so we got civil laws, ceremonial laws, and we have moral laws. Okay, 
Look at the laws as principles. As the law is stated and case studies are described, we can look for the principle behind the law. Then we apply that principle to our lives today. Go to Leviticus 5 and 4. That's what I was doing a while ago. When we look at that passage, uh, we were looking at that law, but we can look at the principles behind that law. Okay, go to go to Leviticus 5 and 4 with me right quick. When we, when we look at it, first of all, if we're studying our Bibles, let's find out if we're in those first five books of, of, of law, let's find out that particular passage of scripture that we're looking at. Is it civil? Is it ceremonial? Or is it a moral law? Watch the text. Or suppose you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether its purpose is for good or for bad. When you realize its foolishness, you must admit your guilt. Let's Let's start at verse one so we make sure we get proper context. If you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify. That's what's happening in Congress now. Y'all know that, right? It is sinful to refuse to testify and you will be punished for your sin. Look at verse number two. No, back up, back up, back up to verse number one. If you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sin for you for you to refuse to testify and you will be punished for your sin. Now, again, it's, what, what happens if we have an issue as it relates to a church? Let's say something went on in the church and we had two varying opinions about what went on. And then now, you know, we're having to, as a church council, make a determination on about what happened and what, what's the spiritual discipline that's going to take place as a result of that. But then we come to you, you are one of the witnesses, and the first thing you say is, well, I asked your pastor, as your pastor, I said, well, what did you see? What, what went on? Well, pastor, I don't want to get involved. People do, people do that. Well, pastor, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to take sides. What happened? Hello? And some of y'all sitting there right now, some of y'all are the same way. I don't want to get involved. What, now, you were there. You saw it. We're trying to solve the issue. We're trying to get the thing right. But we need to understand what transpired because we've got varying opinions here. This text says if you are called to testify about something you have seen, or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify and you'll be punished for your sin. Verse two says what? Let's read. Or suppose you unknowingly touch something that is ceremonially unclean, such as the carcass of an unclean animal. When you realize what you've done, you must admit your defilement and your guilt. This is true whether it is a wild animal, a domestic animal, or an animal that squirt, that scurries along the ground. Now, again, again, remember, we this 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 does not apply to us from that literal sense there, but let's look at what he's talking about. I suppose you unknowingly touch something that makes a person unclean. When you realize what you have done, you must admit your guilt. How many of y'all ever sinned and did something that you didn't know was a sin when you did it? Anybody ever sinned and didn't know it was sin when you did it? Oh, so most of y'all know you were sinning. <laughs> most of y'all knew most of y'all knew what you were doing was wrong, huh? <laughs> I mean, Sometimes, you know, there, there are things that if we know. Well, OK, well, thank God y'all, y'all, y'all know when you sin. OK, all right. <laughs> it says, but, but if you did make a, 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 a food, it says, suppose you make a foolish vow of any kind, whether it's the purpose, whether its purpose is for good or for bad. When you realize it's foolishness, you must admit what you must admit, admit your guilt. OK, uh, so uh, when you look at that, the, the, there's a principle behind this particular uh, law that is given here, even though this was given to the nation of Israel, we can glean the principle there of honesty and admitting when we're wrong. There are people who in the church who have trouble admitting when they're wrong. 
Okay, he says here, when you realize it's foolishness, you must admit your guilt. Go to Numbers 15, 27 through 31. Look at that right quick. The principle behind that law in Leviticus five and four is that we should be wise and self-controlled, not promising what we cannot do or what would be wrong to do. Don't promise something that you cannot do or something that's wrong to be done. All right. That's when when you make a foolish vow, a, a foolish commitment, a promise. Well, I promised him I was going to come. I, I, I promised him I was, I was coming to that party. When you, it, it, the moment you found out that they had, they had shipped a, 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 some, some cocaine there and they were going to snort cocaine at that party, you, you promised you were going to go to that, that. At that very moment, you should say, I am not going. The very moment you find out that, that, that they plan on getting drunk and they were bringing strippers, I don't care if it was a bachelor's party. No Christian man need to have a bachelor party where they got strippers coming. Why are y'all looking at me like that? I came to this Sunday. Have any of y'all has? And no group of ladies who are throwing a bachelorette party should have the Chippendale dancers coming to the bachelorette party for a Christian. I felt something in my spirit there. I felt something. See, because you get married don't mean you throw caution to the wind and forget about everything you've been taught. I'm wondering about some of y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The moment you find out, say, well, okay, all right. Hey, dude, you know, I, 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 uh, you got triples coming and they, they bringing their own pole. No, no. Uh, can't, can't do it, bro. Can't do it, dog. I love you, man, but can't do it. You back on out of there. Just, just back on out. <laughs> if anyone makes a rash vow, whether the vow is good or bad, when he realizes what a foolish vow he has taken, you back out. Admit it. Get out of there. Okay. All right. So watch, watch this. Numbers 15, 27 through 31. This, this, this discusses the, this passage here discusses the difference between sinning unintentionally and sinning defiantly. And the consequences of each action. Watch this. If, if, if one individual commits an unintentional sin, the guilty person must bring a one year old female goat for a sin offering. The priest will sacrifice it to purify the guilty person before the Lord, and that person will be forgiven. Next verse. These same instructions apply both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. Watch this. But those who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native-born Israelites or foreigners, have blasphemed the Lord, and they must be cut off from the community. 31. Since what? Since they have treated the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his command, they must be completely cut off and suffer the punishment for their gift. Here you see what God in, in, his, in his directive for the nation of Israel gives them um, uh, uh, two different ways of handling sin. Sometimes we sin unintentionally and sometimes we sin Y'all told me a while ago, intentionally, you knew it was a sin. The principle is behind this passage 
is that God is willing to forgive people who make unintentional mistakes if they realize that what they've done is wrong and change their ways. But those who sin defiantly will receive much harsher punishment. God considers both the attitude and the act. So if I'm sinning, and I, and I know it's sin, it's been brought to my attention to this sin, but I, I, I go on and do it anyhow, that's going to be handled a little bit differently than if I sin unintentionally. Didn't realize that I was sinning, and now it's been brought to my attention, then I make a course correction, okay? So that's, that's a principle that, that we need to realize, that even you bring that principle to the day, if, 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 if we do something and we've been taught on that and 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 as a church body, we, we share it from the Holy Scripture. But you say, I don't care what the Scripture says. I'm going to do it my way. This is going to be my life, my lifestyle. And I know what the church says, but I don't care. I got to handle that differently than somebody who's struggling with something. Somebody who says, you know what, Pastor? Uh, I, you know, I, I've fallen down. But, you know, I know that's wrong. But, but, but pray for me and, and help me. You know, call me and check on me and make sure that, that, that I'm not... Still doing this and give me an accountability part. Somebody who's struggling with something is different than somebody who says, well, I know what the word said, but, you know, I just I'm just going to do me. God will handle you differently. And we have people who made those kind of professional statements. Yeah, I know the word God said, but hey, this is my lifestyle. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. All right. All right. So let's look at. So so the law, the laws as principles, we we look at those principles behind those laws. We can glean a principle that we can still apply today. What about biography? What about personal examples? Okay, look at the next one. Y'all there with me? Are y'all there with me? Although they lived many centuries ago in a culture far different from ours, biblical people give us a wonderful supply of examples to follow or to avoid. In number 16, it tells the story of Korah, a priest who led a rebellion against Moses. Korah was an example of someone with many significant abilities and responsibilities, but whose ambition caused him to lose everything. One of the application principles that we can glean from that passage is that we got to make sure that we guard against ambition and greed. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can and it's okay to have goals and desires, but you got to check your ambition. Why am I really pursuing this thing? Is it for my prideful self-adulation or is it is it because I feel strong? This is what God is leading me to do. And so make sure that in your own life that it's not selfish ambition that's driving your train. OK. Uh, and the, the, the third thing we look we look here. The third way is we see Israel's development paralleling our spiritual growth. Uh, go to first Corinthians, the 10th chapter right quick. And look at verse number one through 11 with me right quick. Israel's development paralleling ours, our spiritual growth. Text says this. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them and all of them walked through the sea on dry land. Paul is right here. He's talking about his ancestors, the, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. OK, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. Text says in verse three, all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was what? See, Christ didn't just come in the manger in Bethlehem. He's talking about when they were traveling, guys, in the wilderness. He says Christ was there with them and that rock was Christ. Look at verse number five. Watch this. Yet God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things, watch this, these things, these things happen as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Next verse says what? Let's go. 
or worship idols, as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan reverie. Verse 8, and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did. Remember Israelites? What were the three things that they had? Fear, unbelief, and complaining. Another word for complaining is grumbling. Grumbling and complaining. They go together murmuring. Okay? How many of y'all have ever been murmurers before? And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Verse 11, last one. It says what? These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of days. Those things were written down so that we could be warned. They were examples for us. So Israel's development parallels our spiritual growth. Okay? Y'all with me today? We can learn (laughs) from uh, the constant grumbling of the children of Israel during the wilderness and their wonders and and, and their continual slipping back into idolatry and their lack of trust. As individuals and as the church, we shouldn't repeat their same mistakes. So those things happened and they were written down so that we could see what to do and what not to do. Okay? So we got law. Second type of literature is history. Come on, let's move. Gotta go. History. Everybody say history. In addition to the portion of the, of the Pentateuch, the historical books include Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, uh, and then Acts, which is the New Testament. Uh, although Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John also record history, they form a separate type, okay? So the historian's main purpose was to record facts about events and people, not to teach religious concepts. So we got to be we must be careful, therefore, not to read teachings into the narratives. But God inspired the writers of the Bible. So biblical history is packed with spiritual truth. Biblical history is packed with spiritual truth. Here are three ways to find applications in the historical books. First thing is negative examples. All right. As we mentioned in the law, we can learn much from the biographies and stories of biblical personality. We can learn from Joseph. Right. Uh, y'all remember Joseph uh, who was sold by his brothers in slavery? Amen. Sold, went down to Potiphar's house. And, 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 and the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, right? Even though he was in, in indentured servitude, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. And, and Joseph, when you follow his story, amen, falsely accused by his master's wife, said she told a lie that he tried to rape her, thrown in jail. Amen. Forgotten about in jail, but ultimately God raised him up just like he was running Potiphar's house. He was running the jail and then ultimately got out of jail and went to the palace. Right. Went from the pit ultimately to the palace. But on the way from the pit to the palace, he stopped by the jailhouse. Are you with me? But God got him where he wanted him to be all alone because his brother meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God had him there for a purpose to protect the seed. There was famine in the land and his family, the seed, the family that was carrying the seed came to Egypt to buy food. And there the brother was, the one that they, that they, that they messed over was there. He could have took him out, but he knew he was there for purpose. OK, so guys, uh, so 
there's some some positive examples, but but negative examples like you know Saul and others who did some 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 some, some terrible things. Uh, those negative examples are there for us to learn by. Many of those the, the examples uh, in on, uh, in the Old Testament scripture, especially in those history books, are negative examples. You got Hophni and Phinehas who illustrate the results of greed and just blatant disobedience in First Samuel the fourth chapter. Saul and other ones that we see the negative examples. So when we look at history, we can learn from the negative examples, right? And, and when you're reading uh, history, ask this question, why did God put this story in the Bible and what can I learn from it? These are the type of questions we got to ask in the text. So we got history there. There's some positive, there's not only are there negative examples, but there are positive examples also. We can look at some of the positive things that happened in the history books and learn from them, okay? And then the third thing we see is cycles of sin and obedience, all right? The historical book books provide us with a, with a panoramic view of God's work and God's people, putting events into perspective and bringing those trends and cycles into view. How many of y'all remember when we went to the book of Judges? When we studied the book of Judges, we saw a repeat cycle where God would deliver his people. He would raise up a judge who would help deliver his people, and his people would do good for a while, uh, and they would, they would honor him. But after a period of time, particularly when a judge, that judge died, they would then revert back to their old ways of sinning, doing the stuff that they'd always done. And so and then God would allow some tragic event to happen. They would, he would allow the enemy to capture them and take them into slavery so that he could get them to look back up toward him. And then once they had enough suffering and decided we're going to turn back to our God, then God would send a deliverer to take them out of their stuff. But that cycle happened over and over again. So we have cycles of sin, but we also can see cycles of obedience in the historical books of the Bible. So let's, we, let's learn from that. I want to learn. I don't want to be like the children of Israel in, in certain areas. Are you with me? Let's learn from those, those cycles that, that they reveal themselves in the historical books. Okay. Now, third type of literature is poetry. So when I'm studying the Bible, I need to understand, especially in the Old Testament, what type of literature is it? Is it law? Is it number two? What was number two? Is history. Number three, is it what? Poetry. To find and apply the messages in the poetic books, you've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, okay? Uh, so, uh, Consider these following categories when you're looking at poetry in the Bible. Many times you can get practical wisdom. The wisdom books provide wisdom, insight, and guidelines for living. Proverbs, for example, tells us how people, tells about people who have wisdom and enjoy its benefit. And y'all know what a proverb is. It's a short, wise, easy to learn saying that calls a person to action. If you just study proverb and learn a proverb and apply that, you become a wise person. There's a whole lot of stuff that proverbs will tell us that'll keep us out of misery, right? Uh, if you have a long, if you have a cosign for anybody, you probably didn't read proverb before you cosign. Because had you had you read proverbs, proverbs warns you against cosigning. I was in banking industry for 17 years, and the only reason why I would get a cosigner was I didn't have confidence that the one who was borrowing the money was going to pay me back. And that's why lenders get cosigners. Whether you're young, you, you can be the best person in the world, but you don't have any credit history, you haven't shown that you can do that, or you, maybe you had some credit history, and now it's bad history, and now you say you're back, but I don't know that you're back because your record so, so me that you ain't back. 
So I want somebody else to co-sign with you. But 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 when you look at it, biblically speaking, co-signing is not wise. According to Proverbs. Anybody have been burned? You have to raise your hand. But I know some of you have. Uh, so but Proverbs gives us those 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 wise uh, uh, um, tidbits that if we would govern our lives by uh, it would keep us out of a whole lot of trouble. OK, now uh, l- look at Proverbs 14 and 7 real quickly. Proverbs 14 and 7. So we got poetry. So it gives it, it, it these uh, poor, uh, this type of uh, scripture literature will, will give us uh, some practical wisdom. Look what Proverbs 14 and 7 says. It says, well, stay away from fools. For you won't find knowledge on their lips. Yeah, that's, that's plain and simple. How many of y'all know some fools? Stay away from them. I know you think they fun. They fun to be around, but they're fools. The text says stay with the food for you. You won't find knowledge on their lips and certainly don't take advice from the food. OK, look at Pro, uh, Proverbs 29 and 17. Watch this. Proverbs 29 and 17. Watch it. Look what it says. Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. The reverse of that is don't discipline your children. And you won't have peace of mind. Your heart certainly won't be glad. You know, parents, I'm telling you something. Discipline has always been part of God's uh, design for us as parents. And I don't care how modern you get. You better learn to discipline your children. Don't let your children be the baddest something in school or the baddest something in the church. Discipline your children. Oh, and your grandparents. When you got the grandkids, discipline those, those, those grandkids. You know, grandparents tend to be a little bit soft on them, don't they? Come on, grandmamas and grandpapas. Don't you let your grandchildren run over you. All right. Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and make your heart glad. That's practical wisdom there, guys. All right. So you get practical wisdom. Um, Look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Come on. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Y'all there with me? Watch this. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. Very wise saying there. If one, if one person falls, the other can reach out and do what? And help them up. But someone who falls alone, man, you're in real trouble. Okay, you're in trouble. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's two can accomplish more than they can they can accomplish twice as much as one. Okay, all right. So th- those are just wise wise principles saying that we can glean from poetic uh, scripture. Uh, the other thing we, we we see here as we go through text is uh, you'll find nuggets of practical wisdom sprinkled throughout this section. This section of the Old Testament, you, you got worship in the Psalms. David and the other writers express their praise and adoration for God. And, and you can look at Psalm the eighth number. It talks about, oh, Lord, our God, the majesty and glory of your name fills all the earth and overflows heaven. Worship is, is in those uh, 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 poetic scriptures, you know. Uh, and then it also talks about the attributes of God. If you read Job 38 through 41, we don't have time to go there. But but look at the you can see the attributes of God in poetic scripture. So if I'm reading scripture text, what type of literature is it? Then we have last one that covers prophecy. OK. You come to the prophetic books. 
The office of the prophet was instituted during the days of Samuel, who was the last judge. Along with the priests, prophets were God's special representative. They prophets spoke the word of God to the people. Are y'all with me today? The priest represented the people before God, but the prophet, amen, represented God to the people. And so he would oftentimes give them a prophetic word. When the word prophet is mentioned, we usually think of people who, who will uh, afford foretelling the future, but really a prophet foretold. He told what thus said the Lord. Sometimes it was dealing with a future event. Sometimes it was not. So prophecy is something that we need to make sure we keep an eye on. What are the applications from prophetic books that we can discover? Okay, first of all, the prophet's role. In addition to hearing the prophet's messages, we can learn from the prophets by checking out their lives. Isaiah and Ezekiel spoke and lived their prophetic messages, oftentimes enduring tremendous hardship. So we can look at their lives, amen, look at their role and learn some things. Jeremiah's heart was broken over the message he had delivered. He's known as what? The weeping prophet. Because he had, he had, to, he had to speak to a, a, a stiff-necked, backslidden people. Okay, so the prophet's role, we can get glean from that. We can look at the character of God because the prophet, because that prophet spoke for God. We can see God in action as he related to his prophetic messengers. And then we look at the the third and last thing is social action. Okay, social action. In addition to to uh, talking about idolatry, judgment on sin and calls for righteous living, the prophetic books contain numerous references to specific social ills and those remedies for those social ills. In other words, we got an obligation to care for the poor, y'all. We got an obligation to feed the hungry. We got an obligation to try to uh, 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 free those who are oppressed, those who are bound up in stuff that that has them uh, where they can't live a free life. We have an obligation as believers to help try to free them. So all those things are involved uh, when we look at uh, the prophetic messages uh, uh, prophetic literature in the, in, in, the, in the Holy Bible. So last page and we finished. Okay, look at look at the last page here. And these are, I want, uh, I'm, I'm going to allow you to take this home. And next week I want you to bring this back and I want you to uh, to to work work it through. In each one of these steps we went through, we have a sheet where we we, we call it working it through. You're going to work through what we learn. Okay. So what you're going to do is uh, next week your, your your homework assignment is is to find a biblical principle a timeless truth in each one of the following passages that we got. We got law, we got history, we got poetry, we got wisdom, literature, and we got prophecies. Okay. And we give you the questions, the things you need to be looking for in each type of literature. Okay. All right. So y'all got that. You got your assignment. Do you have your assignment? Please don't come back here next Wednesday and not having your assignment complete. Okay. Um, we we want to learn together. So please Come if, if you forget it, come. But I'm, I'm believing nobody will forget it and you'll have it done. All right. How many of y'all need a accountability department to, to wake you up and make sure you bring it? Anybody? I have Kiara to text you and, and see if you if you got it done. OK, we'll text you and remind you to do it. All right. So that's your assignment for next week. So everybody clear on what we're doing over tonight in the Old Testament. If you're going to study your Bible, know what type of biblical literature you're studying, because if not, you'll end up. Taking something and applying it in a way that it should not be applied. Amen. Come on, get a Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.